0: This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered legal advice. The transmission of information on this podcast is not intended to establish and receipt of such information does not establish or constitute an attorney-client relationship. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertisements.
1: Welcome to After the Buzzle. I'm Bob Wallace, a partner and attorney at Thompson-Coburn LLP in St. Louis, Missouri, and chair of the firm's sports law practice. Thompson-Coburn is a nationwide law firm, and also has offices in Chicago, Dallas, Los Angeles, New York, and Washington, D.C. We specialize in representing entities and people with sports interests, whether it's acquisitions, facilities, sponsorship, or contract negotiations. Our attorneys are skilled in these areas, as well as handling compliance issues. We try to bring you on after the buzzer more than just scores. We try and bring insight into what goes on behind the scenes, the who, what, and why of decisions that are made by sports teams and organizations. I can think of no one who has followed and reported on the three Ws more than our guest, recently retired sports reporter Jim Thomas of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, who recently put in his papers after 48 years working at the Post. During that long tenure as a sports journalist, Jim started as a copy clerk and then moved to covering high school sports before heading to the University of Missouri beat. When St. Louis lost to Cardinals and began chasing an expansion team, Jim began covering that story and eventually became the beat reporter covering the St. Louis Rams. He covered that team from 1995 to 2015. After a year covering the NFL at large, Jim began covering the St. Louis Blues. His career, therefore, included championship teams in football and hockey. Jim was ever present with those teams. No one worked harder. Although he cut those he covered, no slack, he was fair and honest and well-respected. Over the years, we became friends. A native St. Louis and a graduate of umso It's my pleasure to welcome Jim to After the Buzzer. Welcome, Jim. It's great to have you That's here. That's
0: quite an introduction, uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I appreciate it. Uh, you and I go way back to the uh, right around the time when the Rams moved here. It's always good to see you, Bob.
1: Yeah, we were just talking about that, uh, that we met at the – Rich Carlton in 1994 I had just been hired Uh uh, by John Shaw and I guess Mark Gannis way back when (laughs) the two people that were responsible for that and I came and I was going to be was going to take Jay's place and because Jay didn't want to move to St. Louis and I was going to come and do what I had been doing for both the uh, Cardinals and the Eagles which was do player contract negotiations and then there was a change in plans and I moved over to doing the business side of the, of the Rams. But this is, a, this is an interview is about Jim Thomas, who's had a, you know, yeah. really a, a spectacular career, has really had a front row seat to uh, sports in St. Louis over the last 50 years. Yeah. So, I mean, what made you become a sports writer?
0: Well, originally, I wanted to uh, be a political writer and uh, cover government. I, uh, my first two years before I graduated from Humsfeld. First years of college, I was at George Washington University, five blocks from the White House. My second year, I lived off campus, which was a mistake. But anyway, well, I'd go by past the White House every day on the way to school. And this was okay. right during the Watergate time. Okay. And uh, in the afternoon, when I was coming home from classes, I could see Dan Rather setting up on the White House lawn to report on Watergate. So that was the plan. All the President's Men is one of my favorite movies, Mine's Woodward in. and Bernstein, very inspired by them. I was actually the news editor my sophomore year, so that was one of the reasons I uh, left GW. I had to keep a 3.0 average. I was My sophomore year, I was just bitten by the bug. I was a news editor for the campus paper. I was working like 40. So you were on a scholarship, and you had to keep a 3.0. And anyway, I was spending 40 hours a week working at the newspaper. So anyway, long story short, come back to St. Louis, seven-and-a-half-year plan. I finally <laughs> get my degree. I'm working as a clerk. They called them copy boys then. And uh, I was going to school at Umsl during the day and working as a clerk at night. And in St. Charles, the Post-Dispatch at that time, we're talking like mid-'70s, late-'70s. We were big, or the Post was big on, like, local coverage. We had, like, a South edition, a Metro East edition. There was a St. and the biggest one was a St. Charles edition, St. Charles Post. It'd be like an eight-page wraparound. If you subscribe to the Post Dispatch, you'd get eight pages Monday through Friday of St. Charles Post news. Anyway, they had one full-time sports writer out there, a fellow by the name of Steve Wade, who was just in town. He's had an amazing career. You should have him on the show. He's from Afton, went to high school with uh, John Goodman out there. He's worked all John over Goodman's the... John Goodman's from Afton? Right. Okay. Afton High School. He uh, has worked all over the world. He's working in Tokyo now, Steve Wade. Anyway, he's the full-time sports writer out there. There are only like six high schools out in St. Charles County then. There's like 20 now. There's so many. Anyway, he says, hey, uh, would you like to be a stringer? We need to cover this high school football game, Duchenne-St. Charles West. A stringer is someone you just go out, you cover the game, you write a story, and you're back then we were paid like $25 for a story. For a story. For a story. And so while I'm, I, I did that on weekends, so suddenly it was 1980, uh, Steve Wade is transferred downtown. They need someone to cover area-wide high school for the whole paper. And they can't hold interviews. They can't have a job search. They need someone to handle the St. Charles Post Bureau out there. And they said, uh, uh, Jim, you, you want to do it? I had just, the timing was for I just grad got my degree from UMSL about two months earlier and uh, I said sure and they said okay you're on probation no one's ever told me 48 years later that you're I'm right. on probation so I guess I guess I'm still on probation so so that's how I started so I just kinda I was always a sports fan I just kinda of stumbled so into you, sports that job was you was covering sports
1: in St. Charles not just all, sports. all yeah. yeah
0: just the St. Charles sports back then it, there was just St. Charles St. Charles West Wentzville there was one Fort Zumwalt, one Francis Howell and that was it now there's what there's like three or four Wentzvilles, three or four Zumwalt, three or four Holt, and, and we'd cover yeah Holt, Liberty and we would cover Lindenwood a little bit uh, you remember uh, of course you know Earl Austin uh-huh. Jr. he was a big star at Lindenwood and basketball I, uh, Wes Unsell's uh, nephew I believe I remember writing a story on him we didn't, back then, the St. Louis football Cardinals would train at Lindenwood, and uh, we would leave that to the main, down to, but we'd do maybe one or two right when camp started. I remember going to uh, Lindenwood and doing a story when uh, Mr. Hannafin was a coach, going in his office, and uh, he treated me like a long-lost friend. He's in there, he's <laughs> puffing away on the cigarettes, telling story after story all of a sudden, was a knock on the door and larry wilson and said coach practice has started gotta get out <laughs> he was jabbering so much to someone he just met you know how a Hannafin is every time you think you've heard every story he tells he gives you another one so yeah i i just kind of stumbled into sports again i'd always been a sports fan and and, and everything like that but my dream was to again cover uh politics and government so but that that started me in sports and one thing led to another and uh And here I am, and there are times when it seems like it was like ten minutes ago when I started, and times when it seems like it was four or five lifetimes ago. We were we were we were using typewriters back then. Right, typewriters. My my kids, uh, my three boys, kid me that uh, I was using maybe a a chisel on on a stone tablet. You know. That's right. That's right.
1: Yeah, I mean, when you write, your kids don't know that. My kids don't know about it. You know, you used to write a paper for college, or probably even when you were doing that, you had to use autocorrect or not autocorrect. The are the, out, the out. Out. Yeah. On there? You had yeah, you have to use whiteout. You know, I think writing is, although they say people don't write as well, you have to be able to write as well. I mean, if I, if you tell me I can edit something 10 times, I'll learn it 10 times. And, it will, right. and I think it gets better every you time. Right, you yeah. polish it up. yeah.
0: You, you didn't quite have that luxury. Right. Right. The old type, right. And they had what they called facsimile machines, uh-huh. and you would, you would, uh, we fax still and, use those. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but when I started covering Mizzou, you know, up there, that's, that was, we that would still before laptops and you'd carry a little fax machine and fax, really? fax your So story. tell me go,
1: about going to Mizzou. So what, how did
0: that So, so that, I, I was in St. Charles uh, for about three and a half years and then a year covering prep sports. And then Mike Smith, former sports editor, just a fantastic writer for us. He was covering Mizzou. And for some reason he, he went off the beat. This was 84, and I had never been up there for a game or anything. It's interesting. This is right around 84, 85. Football or basketball did you cover? Right, covered both. But they had both, they had uh, also lost a uh, Big Red, a a St. Louis football Cardinals rider. So they had talked to me about covering the football Cardinals. Here I am going. They through. lose. Uh, I don't know. I don't know who we had at the time. We had some great writers back then: Doug Groh, Tom Barnage, right, Jeff Meyer, all around that time. Dennis Dillon. Dennis, Dennis Dillon, Dillon was with the Globe. John Sondererger was with the Globe. Anyway, uh, they had an opening there, and they initially talked to me about covering the Big Red in like ni- 1985, and I, I was just. You would have crossed I, past then. Yeah. I just didn't think i was ready for it and i've always been confident but i'm like going from high school to covering the 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 football cardinals and so i said i don't think i'm ready so instead they put me on the mizzou beat and that was yeah uh and and it's still that way now at the time it wasn't we had uh mike smith covered football and uh dave dore a writer that just a great covered many olympics a great writer i I idolized him he had such an energy and a snap to his writing he covered basketball but they unified it, and I covered both, and I got there just in time for Woody's wagon. So Woody's wagon okay, was good. Woody was a fantastic recruiter, but as a coach, uh, not so much. Right.
1: But you know, which was funny because when I remember, I was here. I moved here in nineteen eighty one, and I remember when they hired Woody's wagon, and you know, he came with a stellar reputation from the Steelers. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: He had uh, he he and I guess Bud Carson uh, right. were both considered the architects of right. the steel curtain defense. Woody would never, you know, he was won four the four Super Bowls they won in the seventies. Woody was there. He'd always have one of those uh, those big rings, and and he could work the room. He was an incredible recruiter. Tony Van Zandt, arguably the best running back in St. Louis history, they recruited him. I remember, I remember, I would I would go watch him play in high school, right? Yeah, he was, he was he, a great back. Yeah. So they recruited him, Ronnie Cameron, East St. Louis quarterback. He wasn't just a Parade magazine All American. He was the Parade Magazine Player Cameron of, of the ever. Year.
1: Cameron of event.
0: Ronnie Cameron. Really? I don't know about that. Mark Keough was a Parade All American. Rob Dryden had uh, Tom Osborne and Barry Switzer. He was a big six foot eight lineman out of St. Charles High School. And they all, I don't know, they, they all, for some reason, didn't work out. The first time I went up to Mizzou, kind of my, it wasn't to write a story, but it was to get to know the guys. They had a, they call it the Mizzou Media Masters golf tournament and I go up there and you get to meet the coaches like I was paired on a foursome with uh with Woody and this was the night after they it was a Lions Club all-star game in Jefferson City they'd had it the night before and Tony Van Zandt had hurt his knee and that was my first experience the next day so you're riding with Woody when and he finds out that Tony Van Zandt has a major knee injury right 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 and Ronnie Cameron one, they, they misused him. Uh, they tried to make him a passing quarterback, and he wasn't a bad passer, but he had to use his running skills too. Rob Dryden was the best story. A six foot nine. He just didn't have kind of the heart for football. After like two seasons, he quit to be a bass guitarist in like a rock soul band. <laughs> I go down, they're playing, his band is playing at LaCleve's Landing. I go down, watch him, and do his story on Rob Dryden, the world's largest bass guitarist. So <laughs> you talk about having incredible bad luck.
1: So, so Woody, who's our Woody's staff? Because, you know, Missouri's produced some really good football coaches uh, over the years, Andy Reid. And, uh, yeah.
0: Well, the real staff was the one that followed him. Now, Woody had, like, Steve Miller was recruiting. Steve Miller, long time. Uh, just recently, I think he was activities or athletics director at uh, – Lafayette, but long time I think at Hazelwood Central. But Steve Miller was there. I'm trying to think of some of his uh, other. Uh, they had a guy Bull Reese who was a well known coach. But so Woody lasts four years. They bring in Bob Stull who had worked a miracle at Texas El Paso. No history at all of football success. Years of winning like two, three games. He goes down there. They played just eleven games back then. They go ten and one. They're in the Independence Bowl he's a, he's been named the head coach of the Tigers but he agrees to coach UTEP in the Independence Bowl so I say Jim go down there even though he's coaching UTEP go down there do a story on him and you know a little bit about him and the, the, the miracle that that uh, he worked out in El Paso I go down there they're playing Southern Miss I'm watching the game they lose to Southern Miss there's a pretty good quarterback that I'm, I'm impressed with watching for Southern Miss he was a sophomore, his name was Brett Favre. Now I didn't know he would I thought he was pretty good, but I didn't know he'd become a Hall of Fame quarterback. But so Stull comes in. So Stull is was not the recruiter, but what a coaching staff he put together. Andy Reid was on his staff, uh, NFL head coach. Dirk Cutter was on his staff, NHL head coach. Ken Flagell, who was a, a coordinator. Right, he he, he, he might steer. still be in the league. Right. Uh, defensive coordinator. Dave Tog, who's I, is he still with the Chiefs? Yes, yes. Uh, Special teams coordinator. Uh right, still with them. Uh, Marty Marniwag, NFL head coach with Detroit. Uh, I may be missing one NFL head coach, but look at that. Look at that staff he put together. And uh, they never won more than uh, four games. I, I don't know. I covered his first two years, and then our, our good friend Vahe Gregorian took over. And then I, I, I moved over. To the football uh, beat. But uh, yeah, they, they had a tremendous staff. Also, they had a guy in between jobs, and he was the equivalent, although he was well out of high school, of like a graduate assistant. He would buy them pizzas and hang out. And I don't know if he made much money, but his name was Steve Spagnola. They're all up there in Colombia at the same time, all these great coaches. How come they couldn't win any games? You know how tough the Big Eight was. Right, back right, then. Right. Oh my goodness! You know Nebraska, uh, Oklahoma, Colorado was uh, uh, really good. Wow, I was up there for the fifth down game with Bill down McCartney, down. and also there for the uh, Norman Conquest. They lost seventy-seven to nothing to <laughs> at Oklahoma, which I believe is still the worst loss in history. Now that's Woody was there for that. I remember uh, going into the hotel in. Uh, I don't know if it was in Oklahoma City which isn't far from Norman so I go out with some of the riders the bars closed at 1230 or whatever I'm back in the hotel I go up to my room and I, I need to get a. I would always try to get a newspaper so I go down the lobby there's a news box and Joe Castiglione former assistant AD at Mizzou at the time I think he's still at Oklahoma, yeah, still no? Oklahoma. anyway he comes down that there's a bar in the lobby and he says Jim come on in have a nightcap with us so I go in there may have been 10, 12 people sitting around a table in the bar. By now, it's like 1 o'clock. It's a noon game. Woody Woodenhofer's in there. <laughs> I would known Woody was known for tipping it and liking the beverages. But Woody uh, looks at me and says, uh, Jim, you know, I don't do this all the time. I'm privately a little, because you're playing at noon. You, if you're the head coach, you probably got to be there, what, nine, 9 in the morning, maybe? Maybe even earlier for the game. And But I'm pretending. Oh no, it's it's no big deal, and I'm off duty and whatever. And I remember Joe Castiglione's uh, famous words there. He says, "Jim, you know, if we can stay close early, I think this is going to be a heck of a game." And this is the seventy-seven nothing seventy-seven to nothing. They had a coach there, uh, Oklahoma, named Merv Johnson, uh, longtime Mizzou assistant. It's forty-eight to nothing at halftime, and uh, it was a warm day, and uh, they had their two mascots, Boomer and Sooner. There were two. Like ponies, right. they'd pull a wagon around, like a covered wagon every touchdown. 77 divided by 7, 11 times, 11 touchdowns, I wrote that it was cruelty to animals. <laughs> so they kept Anyway, Merv Johnson sends his old school, uh, because he sends him a note at halftime saying, you're in the wrong defense, you know? So <laughs> he, was, he was trying to help him out. Brian Bosworth, remember the Bos? Mm-hmm, yeah. uh, he was great All-American, really didn't pan out that much in right. the NFL made some bad movies too, right? Trying to be a movie <laughs> right, star. Yeah. So it's forty-eight to nothing. He's out of the game. I look across the way. He's sitting. He's leaning on a fence. He's got his he's got his shoulder pads off. He's talking to fans, eating a hot dog. That's how much respect they had for Mizzou. So, uh, and then and then the fifth down game. I'm up in the box, that, and that's the brass, right. The that was Colorado. Colorado. And that's now we. are Who was the quarterback. I 1990. Remember. They had Kent Kiefer, who was formerly. At Arizona State so Mizzou the week before this is Stall, 1990 second year or third year anyway they're starting to get it going the week before at home they had upset Arizona State which was then 24th ranked Colorado's coming in which was nationally ranked and uh, they have Colorado beat Bill McCartney's the coach Colorado marches down the field and I would always keep my own little play-by-play you know first down Wallace three-yard gain or whatever and uh, I would always Wallace,
1: game eight, but okay, Wallace <laughs> eight yard gain
0: first down no so and I always if a stadium where I knew how to get down quickly if especially if it was a close game I would stay up in the press box and I knew how to get down there and get down there quickly a lot of riders will leave and sometimes if it's a close game they'll miss stuff because they're on the elevator or maybe they're going down the stairs so I'm up there I'm keeping my play-by-play. Play. There's hardly anyone, writers, left in the press box. And on fourth down, fourth and goal, I believe it was Charles Thompson. Both around that time, both Oklahoma and Colorado had quarterbacks quarterback named Charles. He spikes the ball on fourth down. I said, he spiked the ball on fourth down. I almost turn around. The row above me is the Mizzou, like, sports information department. And I almost turn around and said, you know that was fourth down. But I swear to God. Bob, I say in my head, you're not the story, just cover what happened. So I turn around and watch it. They run it on fifth down. By the time I, a lot of the fans knew what was going on. By the time I, I don't know if I went down the elevator or the steps, there are hundreds of fans chasing the officials. They had a little <laughs> locker room for the <laughs> officials. They're chasing the officials into the official locker room. I
1: wonder if they so could have
0: overturned done. that because, I mean, literally the, the place shouldn't have existed. Right. What happened was they forgot, you know, the old right. yard. They right. forgot to flip it over, I think, between second and third down. If I'm the coach, Stahl later said, I mean, even then, you probably had 10, 12 coaches. As you know with NFL teams, somebody's in one of their jobs is you keep track of the downs. Right. And Stall said, yeah, he knew, but. But what? <laughs> I, I think he said, I'm trying to remember, he didn't want to get a penalty. Or Who cares about All right. a penalty? call call timeout. Do I timeout. would just. I would run out on the field. I would not let the next play be snapped. What well, if it's fourth and goal? If it's fourth and goal from the one, what's a penalty? Right. six inches. Right. right, but it's also if it's if it
1: would be an after the after the play down. So so right. they, they move him back six inches, and, he, and it's still
0: your ball. Right, right. right. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it was just uh, it was just amazing. And Jack Watkins, now longtime right. uh, Jack- assistant commissioner with the Valley, he was then uh, the number two in the uh, uh, sports information department at Mizzou and he was kind of in charge of the play-by-play The official you would get a play and you remember that uh, you, Mizzou uh, I mean the Rams would do the same thing an official box score list the play-by-play the team stats the official play-by-play that they handed out said fifth and goal on it really? he had all the four downs I kept that thing for years and then I don't know one one day I'm cleaning out my basement and I threw it away it would probably be worth some money right right, right so that was a national story that was the fifth down game it was never never the same Colorado by the way went on to they actually there was no BCS game or playoffs they shared the national title that year with Georgia Tech so partly because of that fifth down they, they win a share right, that would have been a big upset Oh yeah, and coming a, on the heels of beating twenty-fourth-ranked uh, Arizona State, all of a sudden well, they we're was, that go. Now? That what was that was nineteen ninety. Mike Jones was on the team. Mike Jones of the tackle was on the team. It's all. It's all. So I you know what
1: I think. I was at that Arizona State game because we were. They
0: they beat them pretty good. I mean, it wasn't like. 40 and I was kind 70. of
1: an Arizona State fan being out with the Cardinals moving out to Arizona. Yeah. And I knew of the people that...
0: He was he a trans... Kiefer, it was like Kiefer, Kurt, Kent Kiefer, I believe, it was revenge. Because he would he had transferred from Arizona State. I think the year before, he had beaten Mizzou at Arizona State. So, yeah, that that those were some of the highlights of... Uh, so, so tell me about basketball. Then well, basketball, football, the players were great to work with. The games were not so good. Although they, they played a hellacious schedule back then. Mizzou football played Miami in his prime. Remember when Syracuse, with McPherson the coach and McPherson the quarterback, they threatened Fernandes? Ne- they played them. They played Houston when Andre Ware was there. They played just a brutal schedule besides the Big Eight. So, basketball, the teams were fantastic. Dealing with Norm Stewart was. Now, who was crazy. on the team? No, that was later. Uh, that was uh, Derek Cheers, Anthony Peeler. Uh, Gary Leonard from uh, Belleville, who uh, uh, when it was drafted by the Celtics, uh, Doug Smith. Uh, those were all, I mean, they, they had uh, yeah, some. Nathan Button, Lee Coward, Lynn Hardy. They had some great teams, but. Without well, uh, throwing the old Norm under the bus. So what do you mean? He was hard to deal with? Well, yeah, I, uh, I think you've heard this story. I, I was writing investigative stuff. This is around 88, 89, and he didn't like it. And uh, I came up to practice. Brought my wife and then, I don't know. He was about a year old, oldest boy Tim. We see Norm in the parking lot, and he says, "Oh, that's a nice kid." Then I'm out there. The the idea was the wife would bring her up. I I didn't have to ride anything that day. They had like a media day, watch practice, get my stuff, have some lunch with the wife and kids, and head back to St. Louis. Anyway, I go in the, the arena myself. I'm sitting there under a basket, and all of a sudden Norm comes, and he's just. You're trying to hurt me. You're trying to hurt my family because of the investigation. And finally, he says, just out of blue, I know someone who can take care of your one-year-old. <laughs> and I'm like shocked. And I'm like, Are you kidding me? And so, so anyway, what were you investigating? What was the story on recruiting violations yeah. in, in Detroit? And uh, they ended yeah. up. Uh, oh, that was um,
1: who was the who was the, co-
0: who was the guy? Doctor Detroit, Dr. Dr. Rich Daly. Rich Daly, right? great guy to deal with. Right. But I uh, and he recruited everybody at the time. Remember Derek Coleman from Syracuse? Yeah. He was in on everybody. But anyway, partly some of the writing I didn't. Jeff Gordon did a lot of the reporting they went on, and the Kansas City Star was all over it. They go on probation. But this thing, uh, with my as weird as it sounds, Sports Illustrated did a, did a little story on it. There were stories on it in uh, the Dallas Morning News, the Des Moines Register. I'm, I'm trying to think of some other other papers. Do you ever apologize? No, no. And years later, and I'm not going to say who, there was someone in that building that told me, "Yeah, I heard the whole thing." He, he just denied it and said, "Oh, you're crazy," because at face value it sounds so outlandish. Right. So I covered him that next year. There was a lot of pressure from the some people at the paper to take me off the beat because so they you were that, part of the story then, right? right and then the, the, they go on probation, and the next year I'm, I'm getting fans yelling at me. That uh, the, the uh, public relations director sits me right in front of the sports information director. Uh, moves me where I'm sitting right in front of the pep band I have a tube in my ear the whole game he's laughing about it you know so it was uh, but I stayed there the next year some pressure from the paper to take me off the beat that's how I ended up covering football I covered the year after the probation and then uh,
1: so that's that's what 92 91 uh, my last year on the
0: beat was 90 91, 91. so uh, anyway what what I was told was hey Trying to get this expansion team we need somebody to cover it nfl expansion why don't you cover it and do some stuff on the league get to know the league you can go to the combine you can go to the super bowl uh pick out a game every week a nfl game and go to the nfl game and and also write go That's to That's when the paper was making money and they would spend oh we go we right. go everywhere right. but they still some in what 91 and maybe a little bit of 92 and 93 they don't especially 91 They'd say, hey, if you can couple a college game with a NFL game on the same weekend, like, say, cover Notre Dame, playing Florida State, and then go go watch a Bears game or whatever. And uh, did you like do doing that. It? And I did it. Yeah. And I covered, like, 40 games, 40 football games that year, which was amazing. Yeah. You know, covered Florida State, Miami. I coupled that, just a couple of it. I coupled it with the tampa bay game and they were still in the creamsicle uniforms and they were bad with sam weish the pr guy for tampa says why are you, why are you covering, covering us, us? well they had actually started like three you that year so i thought it'd be a story my wife had no idea where i was from week to week finally i told her you don't know where i am do you?" <laughs> week week? i could have a whole other family <laughs> our, our mistress and, and 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 you wouldn't know but it's weird in life you know one door closes and another open, so I covered the expansion team. Got to know Walter Payton, who was uh, he was involved with the St. Louis expansion group. After the expansion bid fell, fell apart, I go up to New England because they were thinking of moving James Bush horthwine right. who was involved in the St. Louis expansion. Right. He, he during that process he had bought the Patriots, and there were people out. He's going to move, move them to, to St. Louis, especially since they didn't get an expansion team. And, and,
1: I, and the the option the ten dollar option didn't work. No. Right, remember when Shamel bought the.
0: Oh, that was that was for '87. Yeah, that, yeah. right. that was back in '87. but this years. was for uh, when the expansion thing fell apart here, and I, I you wouldn't believe how many NFL meetings I went to uh, with the same group of reporters to Pete Prisco, Liz Clark, uh, David Williams. We were Williams was the, with the Memphis bid. Pe- Pe- Memphis Pepper Rogers, Prisco was working well, for Jackson, Liz Clark was in, in in Charlotte. We'd go to all these meetings they, they 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 wouldn't do much of uh anything and uh anyway the st louis bid falls apart jerry clinton the beer distributor was the original guy really moved the ball forward right. without well, him there'd be no there would have been no dough. Right. no right. no walter payton was along just kind of for prestige right. and uh, I, I i i i got to got to know him pretty well he was quite a character quite a goofball he'd always come up and pinch you in the butt from behind and just just goofy he was a goofball He was a fascinating person, but I later found out they gave him a free 10% just to let his name go to to events. So expansion lasted so long that the expansion fee outgrew Clinton's financial capacity to do it. He had the lease. They brought in Arthwine as a money man, and Arthwine said, wait a minute. If I'm going to be the money man, I want control of the lease. So that's what led to the. So they vote Charlotte in in October of '93. They wanted St. Louis. Jacksonville had dropped out. They had dropped out because they had a uh, personal seat license like sale, and the results were great in St. Louis. Jacksonville, they were very sluggish. Tagliabue talks Jacksonville into staying. They After they named Charlotte, they, they give St. Louis another month to get its act together. They never could. So in November, it's Jacksonville is named to the franchise, and I go in and I meet Mike Smith, I think is our sports editor then. Remember the guy who replaced yeah. cover Mizzou, and he says, "Hey, we want you to be our number two guy with the baseball Cardinals, which is a big deal." I've never as it, many sports writers, it's their life dream. saying right. it was never my dream. I liked kind of having the downtime in the summer, which I did when I covered Mizzou, and I did the when I when I summer. covered the NFL. Even when I covered high schools, there was no high school in the right. summer, right. so you take some time off. And I said to Mike Smith, I'm sitting at the table, and I said. You know, I think there's some talk about the possibility of the Rams moving to St. Louis. Why don't we give this one more year, and then let's revisit this. And then, so we're right at the end of 93, going into 94. And, I, and, and he says, okay. And I want to say, right about this time, I go up to New England to do a story about, boy, could they move here? What's the team like? And I think his name was Gil Santos, longtime time. Radio TV guy covering the Patriots. He has me on the pregame show on the radio, and he's nice as could be talking to me. And then, as soon as I get off the air, the instant he turns at me and says, Why are you trying to steal our team? <laughs> I'm not trying to steal anybody's team. I'm just trying to, uh, to do my job. So, anyway, first time I meet John Shaw, it's at uh, Arrowhead Stadium, 1994. The Rams are playing the Chiefs. And typical Shaw. It was Demarco Farr's first game. He replaced Sean Gilbert. Montana was in his last year playing with the Chiefs, and that's when Demarco had his infamous. When he goes into the game, he looks across, and he's nose tackle, so he's right across, and says, "Hey, you're Joe Montana," you know, like all excited. And Montana looks at him like he's nuts. But anyway, first time we see Shaw. Bernie's with me. Bernie Nicholas, our longtime columnist now, radio uh, star. And uh, Shaw looks at us I can't do a good Shaw voice but he says what are you guys doing here we're not moving to st. Louis <laughs> we're moving to Baltimore so I went to six I think I covered six I just started like tailing the ribs I, I covered six games I went to all kinds of league meetings or meetings in st. Louis what was it called fans Inc then with Thomas it's it's it, yeah, yeah. and all that lo to hold the,
1: the team well, so, the so team. you so John who's who we've all can laugh about because he was a character and but he was the really the person who made the decisions from the rams back then
0: he was the de facto owner right. no disrespected charge at right. all she trusted him right. right she trusted him and so he thought they
1: were moving to baltimore
0: so what happened i think and- he was just playing okay you he think he was just, just playing with but uh so we cover all this it's getting closer and closer i had found out uh, you know that they, they the st louis group brings in Cronky because georgia says hey because uh, they weren't making any money there right. And And she says, we need some more money." In this. And she needed more money to live off of, right And uh, they bring in they bring in Cronky, and I had found out from some of the Cronkey people he had agreed to do it on the condition that they get the team. He had agreed to buy upwards of forty percent of the team. So I'm just sitting on this. It's off the record. And, and wasn't part of that, and that they would move to St. Louis? right. right, right. move to St. Louis, right. So I'm just sitting on it, it was off the record, and that's how, as a reporter, you, you don't violate that. So, I was trying to get an interview with Cronky. you all know he's, he's shy. So, I, uh, media shy. And uh, all of a sudden, it's a Sunday in mid-November, and he's on Mike Bush, the Sports Plus, on the couch. I'm furious. I am furious. I'm like, screw these guys. I'm going to get a second source. The old Woodward and Bernstein always have two reliable sources. Right, right. And I get one. I get one from the league and I just burn I just burn the source with the Kronkauer because I was pissed off I tried to get that interview forever and uh, I time it specifically it runs in Thanksgiving Day paper where if you're John Clayton or whoever it's harder to reach people because it's a holiday and so I I so print you, you had the story for a, a day and a half right and I remember Clayton calling and and saying uh why this is weird it's almost like you wanted to run this on thanksgiving so nobody else could track it down he literally tells me that in the phone call I said no i don't know what you're talking about <laughs> so channel five comes on and freeman bosley then the mayor is on there like discrediting the story and blah 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 this is totally false well bernie calls mike bush and bernie still wields power but that then remember the power he had in this town right. and he says hey oh no, this is legit The 5 o'clock news, Bosley's ripping me. The 10 o'clock news, maybe they still run the Bosley thing, but Mike Bush says, but I know Jim Thomas, and he's a rock-solid reporter on this story. So the whole thing had changed. So that's Thursday, Thanksgiving Day. That's Sunday. I'm in San Diego at the old Jack Murphy Stadium covering the game again. We covered like six of their games, and I think the last four, just because it looked like they were close to moving. I had barely put my laptop on the – this is Sunday after Thanksgiving, 1994 – on the in the press box, when TJ Simers of the LA Times comes up to me and he says, "They're not moving to St. Louis. What are you talking about? They're moving to Baltimore." And what? What was it? January? They they announced they're moving to St. Louis, and that Kroenke had agreed to buy up to forty percent of the team.
1: So was Kroenke mad at you for?
0: Oh, his uh, some of his people were. They never really shared anything with me. Ever again. Ever again. So you burned a source. That's the only time I've done that. But I, I, I was really upset. So now what was your impression of
1: the Rams as you were going through the, the, the
0: John? and John was very well, good. I've never seen. Part of the reason I love sports writing is there are so many characters, and you meet so many characters. You're a character, Bob. Rick Smith, the PR guy, was a character. Got to meet him, John Shaw, Georgia, all of them. I was watching. I like westerns, and I was watching a late night western the other night. And I'm looking at the credits, and it says music by Dominic Frontier <laughs> one of Georgia's wives, the husband. Husbands, excuse me. So anyway, I'll never forget the announcement. It was at the convention center, big pep rally, balloons and everything. And then you got to go behind curtains, and uh, there was a seat, and you got to meet Georgia. And it was like we're all lined up, all the media. And it's like you're meeting Santa Claus or something. You're going in there because there's just her sitting on a chair. I remember her flirting. She was cordial with me. And I love Georgia. She was fantastic. But she was really laying it on thick, kind of flirting with Bernie. Right, right. She was dumb like a fox because she knew Bernie was the man for St. Right. Louis sports. And right. she was kind of curring him, curring his favor a little bit. Can I tell you a quick Georgia story that has nothing to do with anything? Leslie Visser, back during The Greatest Show, all the big timers were – make regular stops in St. Louis. Andre Kramer, Leslie Visser Visser comes in and she's in the media room and she says your desk is a mess. You need to clean this up. So a week later I I bump into Georgia and I'm telling her that and she says, she says, Jim don't worry about it. A a sloppy desk is a sign of a creative creative mind. So Georgia always had a way to make you feel better, (laughs) better. And I remember uh, uh, Georgia Talking to Tony Banks after the, remember he skipped the flight from Miami to be with his girl. After a, he was disconsolate after a fourteen nothing loss down there in Miami. So anyway, the first practice day is Wednesday. He gives a really half-hearted apology. The very next day, we would get Rich Brooks just off the field would be the press. So we're talking to Rich Brooks the next day, Thursday. All of a sudden, we see Georgia. Walking out to the field, Tony was still out there. But sometimes the you know the players will work a little longer after practice. She's talking to him. Two minutes later, Tony Banks comes up to uh, to the reporters and issues the most sincere, at least it came across this way, heartfelt apology about skipping the team flight. And, uh, you know what? I never knew that
1: good. story because really? she really? she really did not do that. No, she, she didn't. She, she didn't hardly I Medal mean, at all. Right, she she let did, right. She would talk to the players about how their mother was doing, or you know, yeah. after the draft she sent flowers and stuff. But she never really
0: was well, the she, heavy. You no, know, <laughs> she did that. And I don't know what she told him. I, I never know. But as you know, January we're all happy. Then the uh, when was it? March. League wrote it down. Although I remember the late Bud Adams. Then they were still the Houston Oilers, and I guess they were there. Pretty sure they were thinking of moving them too. And what they said was, he said, Well, we all want the St. Louis lease. That's what they called it because right. the, the lease right. terms were so favorable. Did you help negotiate those lease terms, Robert? No, 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 no. They
1: were, they were already in place when they came in. You know, I tell people we were not, and I was on the tail end of the negotiations, but I always say we weren't that smart nor well, was St. Louis that dumb on that lease. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was really a protection so that, because it was owned by the city and, you know, mm-hmm. public entity, we didn't want the stadium to be like Veterans Stadium. We wanted and get it, run down. get run down. We wanted it to be like Busch Stadium. So Busch Stadium was the standard back then. This is the old Busch. Right. Because what the Cardinals always did was they always put money back into yeah. the stadium. Right. And, and if you looked at Veterans Stadium in Philadelphia, they didn't do it. They just let it get. So we wanted some guarantee that the stadium would be maintained. Right. And so we came up with this, you know, top-tier thing.
0: And that was the escape clause That's for right. Stan Kroenke, and it was the top 10%. It still would have been tough to meet, but, boy, I, I wish uh, it would have been negotiated as maybe top half.
1: Well, it would have been – basically, it was impossible to meet be because when they did it, nobody anticipated that there'd be 24 new stadiums built during the period of the, – and, the and, and, and I've
0: told John Shaw, in effect, the Rams – are to blame for that only because they engineered the move. Right. There was my impression, maybe you have a different impression because you were around the league owners and bigwigs much more than me. They were kind of shocked that, oh my, you know, teams that maybe needed a stadium or whatever are cities that, oh my gosh, if the Rams can move from LA, the nation's what, second largest market to St. Louis, anybody. That started a whole move of new stadium construction and everybody wanted those the St. Louis lease right, right. and I'm not so, sure everybody got the St. Louis no, lease and I
1: don't think everybody got the escape clause that, that St. Louis right, had right. Uh, nor you know for, at some point you know had to pay half the game day expenses right uh, you know and I, that was you know, that was a hundred thousand by the time I left in 2000 then it was over a hundred thousand dollars a game right uh, closer to two than, than one right uh, so Yeah, the St. Louis lease was, uh, I mean, everybody did use that as as quite, and as I said, we weren't that smart, nor were they that dumb. You know, it was, we got lucky. I mean, there was some foresight into keeping the stadium the way they wanted
0: it. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. So I I, I remember, then the league voted down and we're all shocked, and, uh, but then that was in March, and then a month later, they have a special meeting in Dallas. John Shaw works in walks in with a briefcase with a lawsuit threatening to sue the league and the league sure didn't like lawsuits and uh like 28 votes magically switched sides that was down in uh, Dallas but people some people like fans they were so disappointed by the there was such joy in January March such despair they didn't believe it that in April when they voted to uh and they were like are you really they're they're, they're coming to st. Louis and then they Right. I, I so I started in June. I probably
1: got hired in April or so. It started in June. And uh, I remember when the team rolled in with the trucks, we had a parade at Keener Plaza for the trucks coming in and yeah. the equipment coming in. And then, uh, so the first two years the Rams are here, you have Steve Ortmeier and Rich Brooks. And uh-huh. uh, the first year they're playing at, uh, they're practicing at Matthew Dickey. At the, the boys in the hood. They were right. the boys in the
0: hood. <laughs> so uh, what was that like? Was that just strange being? It was, it was, it uh... was, Uh, it it was fun. It was, it was a little strange. They had a little, uh, the gym that they kind of used for, for launch hour. And it was so, uh, intimate. I remember everybody was, it was so friendly. They'd come down, you know, Sean Landetta would come by during lunch and just shoot the priest, the punter for the Rams. I remember talking to Wayne Gandy, who was the left tackle before Orlando pace. And he's from, went to Auburn. I believe he was from Florida. And, uh, they're playing, it's late in the year, they're playing Buffalo and Bruce Smith. Occasionally, I'd wait on Friday and pick some players off as they, if I missed them in the lot, pick them off as they're coming out. He's coming out to his car. There's a very light snow, just a little kind of dust covering. He's with his playbook now. He's wiping off his windshield, and he says, Jim, how do you drive in this stuff? <laughs> Again, it was just a dusting. It wasn't even barely any, you know, accumulation. And first off, I'm thinking... He's probably smearing that playbook where he's supposed to be learning how to block <laughs> Bruce Smith that day. And then I just said, I would just buckle your seatbelt and obey the legal speed limits. Right. You know, it was, it was it was funny, funny. But it was a lot of fun. I
1: think it was Chris Miller or some one of the players said when they came here, uh, they remember getting off the bus and being cheered by the by the oh, fans. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And they said yeah. in LA they probably would have ch- tripped us and booed us and you know, but they, <laughs> they were it was such a welcome for the for the team to
0: come here yeah so the first uh i think it was the first week or two they practiced at one of the parkways parkway central <laughs> and then they went to maryville because pat mcbride had a soccer, soccer camp right. but their first practice at parkway central and i was i was was i over was at maryville central? no i think
1: it was uh, kirkwood wasn't
0: it was no they the, there was a, they had a scrimmage, scrimmage there I they that. had a scrimmage there but it was a parkway and i i was there was a meeting room maybe set up at maryville and I'm there writing and I but apparently when they got off the butt they were cheered. There was it was a radio station stunt. There was like a a a woman in a bikini who gave Kevin Carter a kiss or something. So I'm at practice and I'm recording first. First completed pass. We were also gaga. First is Dwayne White, the road raider, vomits. And I write. and it's in there. First vomit. First, first vomit. <laughs> That's the morning practice. The afternoon practice, I go there, the running gassers, and uh Chris Miller, cantankerous but fun. I love. It. It's a shame he had all the concussion issues that season. He run, He's running down that way. He stops and he looks at me. And he, he. Someone must have told him it was me that wrote it. He says, "Hey, are you going to write who vomits today at practice?" <laughs> I was a little taken aback, but it was funny. But what a, you know, Jerome Bettis, who was so good with the media. I remember they had a uh, a guard. But was he like, wasn't that good because he didn't show he up. Was, and- Well, he didn't show up. I think he was a little over. And then he had foot issues. But There was a fifth-round pick from Kansas offensive guard named Keith Lonecker who, like, held out a couple days. And he tattooed his – right. Exactly. You stole my punchline. When he finally shows up, he's got, like, a ram underneath an arch tattooed on his – How do you think he feels about that today? (laughs) Yeah. So, anyway, I I don't even know if he made it through the season or made it through camp. So then he's stuck with that. uh, Right. Yeah. So, okay, let's move on from the – Because those were, other than the first four games we played at Bush State. 4-0. Right, 4-0. And then they're 5-1. And and then uh, they lose at, at, it was the last game at Bush. Same old ass Rams with uh, Dana Stubblefield. They end up 7-9. And and then uh, Brooks goes and Vermeer was a shocker. what what was your, that was a shocker to you? Yes. Yeah, I think our, I know our headline was Dick Vermeer, question mark, when he was hired. John Shaw told me the day before that he was hired, that he was talking to Vermeer. And he said, "But you can't write that." But all, I didn't write it, other than that one case you uh, author. And unless you can get it from somebody else, also, I'll be totally honest. I didn't believe it. I didn't believe it. With was Charlie And he
1: was the ultimate uh, leak, anyway, wasn't he? Well,
0: it? <laughs> I, I told him, and, and Charlie Army as well. That so many times they made me look smart right. over the years because they just couldn't keep their mouth shut. Yeah. So it's it's Dick for meal. Uh, we're, we're, we're all We're all stunned. I'll never forget the first Vermeule press conference. Oh, it was unbelievable, wasn't it? It was like, it was shown on live TV. They had a 30-minute time block. They had to cut away. He went the entire 30 minutes without taking a question. Even Ernie Conwell said, uh, he was watching the tight end, and he said, I was ready to run through a wall, but then after a while, I got exhausted, you know? (laughs) So it was a steep learning curve, right? Ninety-seven, ninety-eight, and Don Shaw told me that he felt a little guilty about pulling the plug on Brooks after two years, and that helped him keep for meal after two years. We we thought he was remember right. the three-hour practices, uh, and all that, and and uh, and the, the miracle of ninety-nine. They were you shocked at I mean, the miracle of ninety-nine? Yeah. Yes, uh, I was shocked that they somehow talked him into. And it's still, his practice still weren't a picnic, but they went from three hours to maybe two and a half. In training camp, they had less padded practices. But, oh, my God, that offseason, that 98-99 offseason, you bring in a Marshall Falk, you draft Torrey Holt, you traded for Falk, you get Trent Green in free agency and very underrated Adam Timmerman. In free agency, right, right. I thought right. Adam Timmerman might have been the best signing we had. I mean, other than- Bryant Young, the defensive tackle of the 49ers, used to just destroy the Rams, right. just destroy the Rams, and they'd like we need to bring someone in the interior that can neutralize him, and Timmerman was the answer. I remember sitting at was it Joe's Stone Crabs in Miami where the Super Bowl was? We're out to dinner, and Stan Kroenke never invited me and Bernie out to dinner. We're out to dinner with Shaw and Zygmunt, me and Bernie. And you know how Shaw was. He would always ask questions.
1: Right. What should I do right?
0: Who should we bring in for quarterback? And me, stupidly, who'd I say? Jeff Hostetler. Bernie says, Bernie Nicholas says Trent Green. Well, it turned out to be Trent Green. Also, you know, that was the offseason they brought in. March, who had worked with Green in Washington. Right. And March was ready to become Dave McGuinness's coordinator in Chicago. But McGinnis, remember, he got upset that right, right. they announced that he was hired
1: before, he had a deal.
0: before they had a deal was it Chicago or Arizona it was Chicago. Chicago yeah and so that that dropped out and that's what made Marks available so in camp you kind of in the first preseason games you kind of had a god these guys might be pretty good because the offense was always you know decent to pretty good you had Keith Lyle and Todd Light in the secondary you had uh Kevin Carter and DeMarco Farr, they bring in all this offensive power, and you really thought something might have happened. I, I'll just say very quickly, too remember, Falk didn't show up for what, a week or two in the camp, and Vermeil was upset. And you remember, Perry Sanders had stunningly announced his retirement that same time. We're walking off the field, and we talked with Vermeil, the few media at camp, and then it was just me and Vermeil walking back. He was so furious that Falk was for me I'll live for practice and he said why don't you start a rumor that we're gonna get Barry sanders you know he wanted to, I guess get back at Falk. I'd later found I don't out think
1: that would have meant it to
0: Marshall. To no, the I right? but I later found out that, at least according to Jay Zygmunt he told Falk, listen they they didn't know how the new improved practices were gonna be they just said hey just take your time coming in and take a week or two it was that management's request that, hey, I'm, that Falk. I'm not, I, you know it's sort of
1: like we all discovered Kurt Warner at some point. You know, everybody was taking credit for Kurt. I'm not sure that that, that we were we were nervous that Marshall wasn't there. Uh, as I as, you know, our, I'm sure as, as I, am sure you had to remember. You know, I'm like, sure you had to be because those were the days where holdouts became very nasty. I mean, you know, there oh, are yeah. many holdouts
0: oh, yeah. now. <laughs> and I, I remember uh, watching practice in '98 and Charlie Army again. You guys were so friendly to the media, at least the media that were there and it's not like he just only gave us breaks I mean occasionally we got but we were just you were just good human beings and uh, I remember after practice it's late in the season and I'm like Charlie what the hell are you gonna do at quarterback you know and he says hell we got a quarterback out there that's better than anybody I said better than Tony Banks? He laughed and I said who and he said Kurt Warner now media we all say we're smart or whatever you could watch a million practices and Everybody looks good. Right, right. right. Nobody hitting right? anybody. Right? right. So I'm like, yeah, okay, if you say so, Charlie. So when uh, when Green goes down with that Rodney Harrison hit in a San Diego game, I'll never forget Isaac Bruce was on the sideline. He wasn't on the field slamming his helmet on the turf. I looked, I don't know if it was Bernie Miklis or Tom Wheatley, and I said they'll be lucky to win four games. That was my prediction on the '99 season. Right. We were, I remember, we were
1: like, we're cursed. We're uh-huh. sitting in the box. It's completely quiet. You know, the next day when Dick gives us, you know, uh,
0: we were rallying behind. We were
1: rallying behind. Gerner. I remember, so I had a staff meeting for the non football people. I said, don't walk around with your head down around here. Really? Right. You got you to, gotta, you know, say hello to the coaches, you know, sort of say. Hey, and that on, wasn't easy to do. Right. That
0: was crushing. Right. It was crushing. And it's, we got to. Trent Green only threw four incomplete passes the entire preseason. Right and two of them were dropped and
1: he was a he was a great leader i mean he made he made a point of knowing everybody in the building uh speaking to people i mean he he became the face of the franchise in eight weeks that he was around right
0: uh, right
1: and i remember kurt you know we, so he gets to hurt in the third game trend right third, third pre-season. preseason. and we've never seen kurt want to play hardly at all no one has and so he doesn't play a lot in the fourth game because, obviously,
0: Right. But, it's the last game. You don't want to get anybody hurt. He had played the season finale in 98 at San Francisco and was like four out of 13.
1: And right. And so then and then I remember being in the office and the day before the Baltimore game and, you know, 6 o'clock, and guys are all there, no cars in there. You figure that this young kid would be there freaking out that he's going to start. But, you know, and then he played He I mean, played
0: yeah. really unbelievable. And let me tell you, that Baltimore game now, I think he threw a couple of interceptions, but he played, it was like 26 to 14. People don't realize how good that Baltimore defense was. They were right at the rise of being one of the greatest defenses of the time. It was them and Tampa, really. And uh, I remember the third game, Cincinnati wasn't much, but they had Darnay Scott, I forget the other. They had a couple of good receivers and you go into cincinnati i think hakeem scores three touchdowns you just destroy them you're three and zero. bernie and i were done riding you know the stadium's empty we're walking in the parking lot to, to leave and we look at each other and say, this team might be pretty good and i remember the monday what's memorable about the monday kind of the the rehash day with the coach reveal tells us I think they maybe had some trouble with the plane and we got stuck in the Cincinnati Airport for like two hours and what did he say he and uh, Carol were late for the Celine Dion concert (laughs) God bless him Dick Vermeer well then that's game three game four the Wicked Witch of the West right same old sorry ass Rams they come into st. Louis you had lost 17 in a row 17 in a row was one of the longest losing streaks in a series between two teams in NFL history And isaac bruce just goes nuts four touchdowns you wipe them out they get a couple cosmetic touch i think it was 42 28 there was a smaller media room there i remember we're in there and vermil's good friend for many years bill walsh comes in there and in a stage whisper we could all hear it he says you're going all the way and right then (laughs) we knew And, and then kind of the rest the rest is history that that the minnesota game the first home playoff game in uh st louis football pro football history i've never and i've been to all the stadiums many times over lots of playoff games i've never heard that first kind of five minutes before the game and first i've never heard a louder stadium they had those little foam noodles still have one in the basement remember the national media was like they don't run the ball uh well enough you got to run the ball to win actually if you look now i i like two seasons ago i did it the 99 rams would have finished like thirteenth in passing yards, so the game has gone so much to passing anyway it's like I think it's 17 to 14 uh, Vikings at halftime in the media's going see this this offense." and and Tony takes
1: the next opening kickoff back for 102
0: yards and you guys score the games next 35 points it's 49 to 17 again they got some cosmetic touchdowns and uh, also I remember the Tampa what a brutally physical game that was i remember uh, there was a lot of scuffles and chippy stuff i remember frank middleton the guard he came over to the rams locker room he wanted to beat somebody up yeah. after that yeah and i remember him outside the locker room and he was all he was all upset and then the uh the super bowl i mean what a uh, what a storybook ending right we uh, you know uh, those of us we didn't believe
1: it was happening uh i know you know to this day i'm not sure i enjoyed it as much as i should have because yeah. you know it was like when's our bubble gonna burst uh, and but that was so. Then we move on from dick and i'm sure you were surprised when he resigned although yeah i actually thought it made a lot of sense for him to i mean yeah, it wasn't going to get any better we're going to take a break from this broadcast run a little longer than normal and jim's going to come back and complete uh talking about his experiences during the championship runs of both the rams and the blues and what he's doing in his retirement time so thank you very much and i hope you enjoyed listening to the discussion with jim He's a wealth of knowledge and we welcome him back again. We always welcome your feedback. So go to the ratings and review section for our podcast. If you're listening on Stitcher, go to stitcher.com and rate us there. If there's a topic you would like us to discuss, let us know that too. Thank you for listening.